I've got a title up here on the board. God calls the church citizens of Israel. I don't know how people can get around that not being... If the church are citizens of Israel, that makes them spiritual Israel or spiritual Jews. I do not understand why. Why would God call us, the church, heavenly Jerusalem, the church? And that's spiritual Israel. He says that in Hebrews twelve twenty two. When he refers to the church throughout the book of Revelation, he's always calling us spiritual or heavenly Jerusalem. He says we are children of Abraham through faith in Galatians 3, 7. If we are children of Abraham, that makes us spiritual Israel. May I remind you something? When God came to Abraham in Genesis 17, He said, Abraham, I'm going to be your God. You're going to be my people. And Everyone in your household, including those that were bought for your household, which will be Gentiles, they're going to have this promise given to them too. All they have to do is be circumcised. And that was God's, that was man's sign to God and God's sign to man. Later on, God says, we're going to call that spiritual circumcision. You're going to be circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. That's what he told the Ephesian Gentile church. I don't know why people hate spiritual Israel so, but they do. I was raised in a independent Baptist preacher's home and him and all of his friends hated spiritual Israel. When I grew up, I started studying the Bible when I was 17 years old and I never could understand why they hated that so much. I want to tell you why they hate it. Because most of them are dispensationalists. Dispensational dispensation they don't even know what the word dispensation means they think dispensations are periods of time that's crazy they think well Adam was in the dispensation of innocence and and uh, Noah was in the dispensation of uh He was in the dispensation of the law, or conscience, excuse me, conscience. And then you get down to Moses, he was in the dispensation of the law. For some reason they think these are different ways of going to heaven. Everybody's going to heaven the same way, believing God. When Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord... And by faith, Noah being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house. Noah was saved by grace through faith, the same way Abraham was. Abraham wasn't saved any different than we are. Abraham believed God, and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. Belief is what it's about. That's what the New Testament says. It's not about a sinner's prayer. There's no such thing as a sinner's prayer when you're dead in sin.
No such thing. Dead men do not pray to a living God. The Bible says so. Everybody's favorite verse that's a free willer is Romans 10:13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. There it is right there. That's a way to get to heaven. It is not. Read the next verse. How then shall they call on him in whom they've not believed? What gets me, my father used to quote Acts the 16th chapter about the Philippian jailer. And the Philippian jailer come and fall down at the feet of Paul and Silas and ask the perennial question, what must I do to be saved? And Paul said, would you pray this prayer and mean it with all your heart? No, no, he didn't say that. Would you like to accept Christ as your personal Savior? He didn't say that either. He said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. But most of those men do not know that believe is the word P-I-S-T-E-U-O. And in the Greek, that is a verb. That's something you do. Believing. Believe is this word pistuo, believe. You know, this frustrated me to no end when I was young. And and my father would read that and then he'd turn around and quote Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace you are saved through faith. I thought, if we're saved by faith, how can we believe and be saved by belief? Because they're the same basic word. Faith is the word P-I-S-T-I-S. You see that P-I-S-T on believe and the P-I-S-T on faith? That's called the stem of the word. Everything else is built on that. That's the basic foundation what the word means. Faith is putting your belief in God. And then my father would go to Romans ten thirteen. So whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But the next verse says you can't call on a God you don't believe in. You can't. So the sinner's prayer for salvation is not true. Will you call upon God? Yes, after he births you by his will. We were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. I never heard my father even quote that at all. You say, are you picking on your father? No, he was just... He was my main problem when I was a kid growing up. I was so frustrated. I was elect of God, and I would worry constantly. I would worry from the time I was 10 years old till I was 15 or 16. I don't know if I'm saved, and every time I'd be out in the, in some field playing, and I'd look up the sky, and it'd be a summer sky, and there'd be a great big cloud up there, and I'd think, hey, if Jesus is coming in that cloud, I don't know that I'm saved. I thought about that all the time through the day. All my father did was scare the life out of me every time he'd have those death threat messages that just scared the life out of me and i stayed frightened all my life and i guess that's why when i was 17 i began to pray lord help me find the truth because my father would quote the same verses and he'd read bible but he couldn't explain anything he just he would always go back if you don't know tonight that's just not true i've already explained that but I've been talking about we are spiritual Israel. 
Why would God call us? Why would He say things like, let's go over to that Ephesians, the second chapter, one more time. I hope you can see this because this is very, very important to understand that we're spiritual Israel. And we will know that when we see our lives change. All right, Ephesians. I don't know what happened to my father when he died. He was an honorary man. Liked to fight people every day of his life. I had to get out of his house when I was younger. I couldn't live. I lived with him for years, and I just got one day. I said, I can't live here anymore. He's driving me crazy. He's shouting, screaming, yelling, cussing. And then called himself a preacher. I don't know if he's a believer or not to this day. He died in 1999. I don't know where he is. And I know my brothers and sisters will say, he's a preacher. He he went to heaven. Well, I'm glad you think that. Well, he acted. He never acted like a Christian. Do you know there's a lot of people like that? I'm a Christian. I can cuss if I want to. I can run people off the road if I want to. My father used to run cars off the road if they cut him off in traffic. Now, in Ephesians, the second chapter, in verse 11, remember he's talking to an Ephesian Gentile church. Everybody. He's writing to Ephesus. You see where it is? It's on the western end of Turkey. That's called Asia Minor. This was not a Jewish church. It was a Gentile church. Gentile means everyone who is not a Jew. That's what it means. Now, he says here in verse... I've read this before, but I've got to help you keep seeing these things. Verse 11, Wherefore remember that ye, who is ye, Ephesian Gentile church. Ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, and you were called uncircumcision. That's what Gentiles were called. They were called the uncircumcision. I was going to tell you why these guys that believe in dispensationalism they don't even know what dispensation means. Dispensation is the word O-I-K-O-N-O-M-I-A. That's the word dispensation. And that's also the exact same word as stewardship. A steward, the word steward is oikonomos, O-I-K-O-N-O-M-O-S. You notice it's got nomos in there and oikos. Oikos means house. Nomos is the word law in the Greek. It's the law of the house of God. And what is God's house? That's us. Christ is a son of his own house. Whose house are we? When you dispense something, you meet out or measure out something. If you have a dollar, I don't know if Cokes are a dollar anymore, but if you have a dollar and there's a Coke machine, there used to be a nickel when I was a kid, but 
if you have a dollar, whatever they cost, a dollar and a half, you can put it in there and it'll dispense a Coke to you. Or if you need some of these, uh, they got these vending machines and you put a dollar in, it'll drop a little sack, dispense a little sack of chips to you. That's dispense. That's what it means. It doesn't mean a period of time. And dispensation and stewardship are the same word. Boy, how loud can I say that? And when you look up in Webster's Dictionary, you look up economy. It will say in Webster's Dictionary that it comes from the word oikonomia. Oikonomia, oikonomi, economy. Economy sounds like oikonomia, doesn't it? When you say it fast enough, oikonomi, oikonomi, economy. That's what it. That's where the word economy. It means the economy of a household. We're the house of God. We dispense the word of God from our mouths. That's written in our hearts. That's what a dispensation is. It has nothing to do with this dispensationalism. I hate that stuff. And they do not, those guys that believe that, they believe in a pre-trib rapture. Pre-trib rapture. That means the rapture, Christ coming back to take us out of this world, is going to be before the seven-year tribulation. Or seven-year trip. I don't know how that can be because we're going to be changed at the last, last, last trump. We're going to be changed at the last trumps. 1 Corinthians 15, 51, 52. 1 Corinthians 15, 51, 52. Behold, I shall be a mystery. We shall not all sleep. We shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkle of an eye at the last trump. you got seven trumpets sound in Revelation 8, 9, and 10. Seven trumpets. Revelation 8, 9, and 10. Let me say something about Revelation. Revelation is not a chronological listing of actions. It's not that. Chronological means everything happens in pursuit after something else happens. It's not chronologically correct. Why? Well, you got the end of time in Revelation 6. You got the end of time in Revelation 8. And you got the end of time in Revelation 10. When Christ has got one foot on the land and the other on the sea at the signing of the seventh trumpet, it says, Time is no more. Is that the end of time? Time is no more? Yeah, I guess it is. Then you got the end of time in Revelation 11. Revelation 11, it talks about the two witnesses and how they're going to lay dead in the streets for three and a half days, which is three and a half years, the last three and a half years of the tribulation. That's the end of time. How many? And then I did a four and a half years on the book of Revelation. I'm very familiar with it. Three hundred. It was 236 messages, four and a half years. Then you got the end of time. In Revelation, 
15. Actually, you got it in Revelation 14. That's where you see the uh, God trans the wine press, Revelation 14. And to some degree, you got it in Revelation 13. I don't want to stop on that. Then you got it in Revelation 15, Revelation 16, Revelation 18, and Revelation 19. You got the end of time in all those chapters. And I can go through it and explain them one at a time. What the book of Revelation is about, it's about, John says, the Spirit of the Lord took me up and showed me a vision. There are separate visions being shown to John the Revelator, but sometimes it's John looking at the same happening from a different angle. That's the way, way it's laid out. It's not, it's really not hard. What do you mean in Revelation 6? Let me show you something real quick. Like, in Revelation 6. But you can't teach Revelation without knowing something about the Old Testament and something about culture and customs of the Jews. Look in Revelation 6. I don't know how I got on this. I just really like to teach on it. Revelation 6. What are the four judgments of the Old Testament? Four judgments. You remember? What are they? Somebody tell me. Sword, famine, pestilence, and the beast. That's all over the Old Testament, isn't it? Everywhere in the Old Testament. Well, here in the sixth chapter... Jesus is the one that's opening the seals. I won't go into that. But the first, there's four horsemen here. First of all, there is a white horse. Now, if you haven't studied the culture of the ancient world, all the leaders of an empire would go out and survey the battle upon a white horse. Now, Jesus comes on a white horse in Revelation, the 19th chapter. This can't be Jesus here because of the second three horsemen. This has to be, this has to be the beast, the leader of the beast system, because he comes out on a white horse, conquering and to conquer. And then in verse, then the next horse that comes along is a red horse, and he's got a sword in his hand. The red horse has got a sword. And then you have a black horse, and he has scales in his hand. Scales in his hand. And he says, a measure of wheat for a penny, and a measure of barley for a penny. A penny was a denarius. That was the day's wages. A day's wages for a Roman soldier or for a field worker. That's what they got paid. It says a penny sometimes, but a penny was a denarius. It wasn't a penny with Abraham Lincoln's picture on it. And so you have to know that the wheat, a measure of wheat for a penny, a measure would feed one man for a day. 
a penny would feed her one man per day. Barley was the poor man's food. And a measure, three measures of barley would feed three, three people for a day. So what that's showing is famine and how it's going to be not much food. So you got the, this black horse's famine. And then the next horse is a pale horse. Pale horse is a kind of an off green. And it says down here in the eighth verse, And I looked, and behold, a pale horse. And his name that sat on him was death and hell and followed him. And power was given him over the fourth part of the earth to kill with the sword, with hunger, with death, with the beast of the earth. And when he had opened the fifth seal, he goes into others. So he's saying death rides with this pale horse. That is sword, famine, pestilence. So the first one, the fact that you got sword, famine, and pestilence, the first one has to be the beast world system. Do the fact that you've got four of them right here. That's the four horsemen of the apocalypse. It's not four men riding literal horses. One night I saw there was a late night a movie come on and said, The Rapture. I said, I gotta watch this. <laughs> it's the stupidest movie I've ever seen. Some woman out in Arizona had to take her daughter up on a mountain and kill her out there so she wouldn't be uh, caught up in the rapture and be left behind or something like that, some stupid thing. And this woman was driving out in her car out to some mountain in Arizona and she kept seeing these horsemen ride by her. Just one on a red horse, one on a black horse, one on a pale horse. Just stupid. I'm just saying, whoever wrote that movie is an idiot. Anyway, so how do you find the end of time in this chapter? Well, you go over here to, I'm just going to show you in Revelation 6. And I beheld, in verse 12, he that opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake. Doesn't mean a literal physical earthquake. The word earthquake is the word seismos. S e i s m o s. With our word seismograph from that, it also describes storms and shakings of all kinds. And the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became blood. For anything to become blood meant to die. So if the sun becomes as black as sackcloth, that has to do with darkening of truth. Let me show you that. Go to Micah. You can't teach Revelation without going back in the Old Testament. Look at Micah, the third chapter. And it will show you what this is talking about. Revelation is all about pictures and pointers. Go here to Micah. And Micah and all the prophets of the Old Testament, they're preaching against Israel for going after all these gods. All right, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Micah. Micah. Now look here. Micah's preaching to Israel about their apostasy 
And he all through here, he's given Israel thunder for going after these other gods. And he says here in Micah, the third chapter, Micah 3, thus, verse 5, Thus saith the Lord concerning the prophets that make my people to err going after Bel in the grove, that bite with the teeth and cry peace, and he putteth not into their mouths. God said, I didn't put my words in the mouth of these prophets that even prepare war against God. Therefore, night shall be unto you prophets. You shall not have a vision any longer. You won't see the light. And it shall be darkness unto you prophets that you shall not divine and the sun shall go down over the prophets. How's that? That means there's not any light for them to see anymore, see truth. And the day shall be dark over them. So when you go back over here, you can get the interpretation of Revelation here uh, where he says the sun will be turned to darkness. The only light that the moon has is reflection from the sun. That's all it has. So when he says the moon will not give her light, that's the way he puts it in other in other scriptures. The moon doesn't give her light there in Matthew the twenty fourth chapter, or the moon is turned to blood. I mean the moon's going to die because the sun's not shining anymore. It doesn't mean the literal sun is not shining. It just means that there's no truth anymore. That's figurative language. And then he says, the stars of heaven shall fall unto earth. What stars? The seven stars in the right hand of Christ, which is in the first chapter. And what are the stars? The stars are the seven spirits of the seven churches. The spirit is equates with the oil inside those lamps. And that's what gives light. This is all very figurative. And the heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. What is a mountain? When you look up Mount and McClinic and Strong, it'll tell you Mount was a capital city of an empire. It means these empires are going to dissolve Washington, D.C., Moscow, Paris. Tokyo, they're going to dissolve at the end of time. It doesn't mean they're going to just literally dissolve. It means they're going to have no power anymore. We've got about 50 world world systems that's on the verge of bankruptcy, and we are one of them. It's, I have people call me all the time and say, are we close to the end? I say, I hope so. Now, I can go through all of these. You have to know their culture and what they're saying. Anytime you see throne throughout Revelation, that's not talking about somewhere in heaven there's a throne that Jesus is sitting on. It's talking about the throne of God was the Ark of the Covenant. And it's talking about that very thing. Anytime you see throne, He's talking about a figurative throne. That's our hearts. There's the temple. And here's the Ark of the Covenant. Here's the candlesticks. That's the refined church. Here's the bread. We being one bread and one body. Here's the 
There's the altar of incense, the prayers of the saints in Revelation, the fourth chapter. If you don't study the culture of this, I'd rather listen. I, I say this often, but I'd rather listen to somebody run a jackhammer on a road gang than listen to Hal Lindsey teach Revelation. I'd just rather listen to somebody make noise or somebody hum for an hour. I don't want to listen to that garbage that they put out. Now, I've got to get back to my subject. Why does God call us, and back over here in Ephesians, if we're not spiritual Israel, and you know what all these people that gripe about spiritual Israel, they say, you believe in that replacement theology. I don't believe in replacement. I haven't replaced anything. He has known me from the foundation of the world. God hath from the beginning chosen me to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. I've been his from the foundation. I've been his spiritual Israel. You, how can he say these things about us? Look here. He calls us citizens of Israel. And then he says here in verse 11 of chapter 2 of Ephesians, the second chapter. Remember that in the time past... You were Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision. By that which is called the circumcision, the circumcision was the Jews. Because God gave that, he gave that to Abraham in Genesis the 17th chapter. You'll be my God, I'll be your people, and you and everyone in your household, including any Gentiles that'll be circumcised, that'll be my people too. That's the mystery that was hidden through the ages, that the Gentiles will be fellow heirs and of the same body as Israel, the church. I don't know why preachers can't see this. They don't think figuratively. They think literal. These beasts, there's going to beast rise up out of a sea somewhere. Some sea, well, it'll rise up out of this sea. It'll be, it'll be Babylon over there, Persia, Greece, and Rome rising up out of the Mediterranean Sea. It's not like this is all such a mystery. Here's Babylon, Iraq, right there. That's Babylon. There's the Euphrates River. Babylon was built on the Euphrates River. Persia is Iran, Afghanistan. All these stands is Persia in the Bible. Then Greece is over here. And they had all of their ruling area on the Mediterranean Sea. That's why the beast rises up out of the sea. Is that hard? That's not even hard, is it? That's why I believe preachers ought to preach with maps so people can see it. You don't know where Sodom is down here just below the Dead Sea in the Negev Desert. It's right down here. You have to know if if David is, his armies are fighting Ammon, Amman Jordan is northern Jordan. And southern Jordan is... It's called Jordan, but it was called Moab in the ancient world. This is Moab, this is Ammon, right next door to Israel. And the Gaza Strip's right down on the southwestern border of Israel, or it's called the land of 
Hanak, the Anakims, or it's called the land of the Philistines. Then he says, You were called uncircumcision, Ephesian Gentile church, by the circumcision, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens, apollotrio, A-P-A-L-L-O, A-P-A-L-L-O-T-R-I-O-O. You were aliens. You were estranged away from Israel. So he's approaching them on the fact that they're going to be of Israel. Then he says, You are aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. Commonwealth is the word politia. P-O-L-I-T-I. Politia, we get our word politic. It means citizenship. Citizenship. You were aliens, but you're not going to be before this is over with. You were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and now in Christ Jesus, you who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ, by blood baptism. They could understand that because the Ephesians, if they came to Israel and they wanted to be a citizen of Israel before Jesus died, they would have to come to Israel and be circumcised, washed in water that they called a new birth, and they have to offer two turtle doves. But they don't have to do that anymore. Paul said, no, we're not going to circumcise any of them anymore. Then he says, for he is our peace. He's saying, Ephesian, Gentile church, and I am a Gentile, I am a Jew. He is our peace and made both one, both Jew and Gentile one, and hath broken down the middle wall of petition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments, contained in ordinances, dogma, D-O-G-M-A, means ritual, rituals. But the law came in the letter, which was the ritual, Letter and the Spirit. The law's not done away with it. Still here. I don't know why preachers will preach. The law's done away with you. Can you go out and murder tonight after you leave here? Can you rob a bank? A robbing? There's no banks open this late. But maybe you can rob a grocery store. Okay. You think the law's done away with it? It has not. Just the rituals were nailed to the cross with Christ. And then he says. He goes on down here. That he might reconcile both Jew and Gentile unto God in one body. In one body. Well, there is one body. And that's the church, isn't it? Ephesians 4 and 5. So, the Jew and Gentile are all a part of the same church. By the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you which were far off and them that were nigh. For through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. And therefore you are no more strangers. You're no more aliens. 
Gentile Ephesian church. And you're no longer foreigners, but fellow citizens. Soon. Soon. P-O-L-I-T-E-S. We're fellow citizens with the Jews in Israel. That makes us spiritual Israelites, doesn't it? I don't know why people don't want to believe this. We are Israel is what we are. And he's going to get our attention just like he's going to get their attention. He says we're children of Abraham in Galatians 3, 7. And he says we are, I love Philippians. Philippians 3. Paul is writing this letter to Philippi. I've said it before, but I want to add these things to it. In the fourth chapter of, excuse me, the third chapter of Philippians, Ephesians, Philippians. The third chapter, Philippi, Philippi was up here. This is the Aegean Sea right off the Mediterranean. This is the Aegean Sea. Right up there where my finger is pointing is Philippi. Right next to it, just a little below it, is Thessalonica. So he's writing to the people at Philippi, which are Gentiles. To say Gentile means someone who's not a Jew. Then he says here, in verse 3, uh, chapter 3 of, of Philippians. Verse 1. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord to write the same things to you. To me, indeed, is not grievous. But ye are, but you, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs. He doesn't mean beware of chows and, and, um, and uh, police dogs. He's not talking about that. Gentile unbelievers were called dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the of concision, division in the church. For we are the circumcision. He is telling the Philippian Gentile church, you and me are the Jews of God. Circumcision is a title for Jew. I don't know why preachers won't talk about circumcision. I think, well, that's uh, that's very uh, something off color. No, it's not. Because we're circumcised with a spiritual circumcision made without hands. Me and you, Philippian Gentile church, you and you're a Gentile, I'm a Jew. We are the spiritual circumcision. And here's the three things. We worship God. In spirit. The word worship is the word latris, L-A-T-R-S. L-A-T-R-I-S, L-A-T-R-I-S. It is a form of latruo, L-A-T-R-E-U-O, means to serve. Those of us that serve God in truth, that makes us spiritual Israel. And we rejoice, we rejoice in Christ. Rejoice is a form of, it's a form of caro. 
it's actually caro, C-H-A-I-R-O. We rejoice in Christ. It's a, it comes from charis, which is the word grace. Grace. And he said these three things, we rejoice in Christ Jesus, and we have no confidence, pitho, P-E-I-T-H-O, P-E-I-T-H-O, pitho. We have no confidence in the flesh. We don't put any confidence in the flesh. That's who the spiritual Jew is. And he includes himself with the Philippians. Now, I've been talking about us being Jews. We're the circumcision. And Peter was a, was a missionary to the Jews. Paul says that in Galatians, the second chapter. Galatians, the second chapter. He makes sure that we understand what the circumcision is. That means Jew. He said Peter was an apostle that was sent to the circumcision. And Paul said, I am an apostle sent to the uncircumcision. Now, we don't circumcise people anymore. Now, they do circumcise men uh, in the hospitals because there's all kinds of reasons for that. Some said, when they started, said it caused uh, uh, women to have less chance of, of cancer, uh, genitalia cancer, but now they believe it causes men to have less chance of genital cancer. Whatever it was, God knew what he was doing. Now, we're talking about you have to be circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. That's what Colossians says. We're circumcised with a spiritual circumcision. He says that in Colossians 2, verse 11. Speaking of Christ, in whom also you are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. He's telling the Colossian Gentile church, you're circumcised with a spiritual circumcision. That makes you the circumcision. Makes you. That's what the Bible says in Romans, the third chapter. Romans, the third chapter. I don't know how God will use all these circumcision chapters in here and people say we're not spiritual Jews yes we are if you're a believer you are he says here in in Romans the second chapter why do you think circumcision is so much in the New Testament he says here in verse chapter 2 of Romans verse 25 for circumcision verily profiteth if thou keep the law. But if thou be a breaker of the law, thy circumcision, you being a literal Jew, is made uncircumcision. Therefore, if the circumcision, the uncircumcision, keep the righteousness of the law, 
Shall not his uncircumcision be counted for circumcision, keeping the righteousness of the law? Are you going to keep? Remember the word keep. Tereo. T-E-R-E-O. You have to keep the righteousness of the law. That doesn't mean you're going to do all the law. The word tereo means to guard against loss. Where is the law written? It's written on fleshy tables of our hearts. Even when you do something that you know is wrong, your heart goes against that and you say, I know that's wrong. That's true of all believers. So if you keep, if the your circumcision, verily prophecy, if you keep, if you guard the law against loss, and every one of God's people has it written in their heart, it's as though we were standing in front of some safe, gigantic safe, that's got the law written in it, and that's in our hearts. And when we say, I will not let you change this for any reason, whether I can keep it or you can keep it, it is the truth. That's when your uncircumcision becomes circumcision. Therefore, if the uncirc verse twenty six, therefore if the uncircumcision keep the righteousness of the law, shall not his uncircumcision be counted for circumcision? Why is Paul writing to all these Gentile churches, Galatia, Rome, Ephesus, about circumcision if we don't have anything to do with being spiritual Israel? It's crazy, you preachers out there. And shall not uncircumcision, which is by nature, if it fulfill the law, judge thee, who by the letter and circumcision does transgress the law? For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly. That's not what makes you a Jew. Neither is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew which is one inwardly, and his heart has been circumcised by God. And the circumcision is that the heart and the spirit, that, that, that of the heart and the spirit, and not of the letter, whose praise is not of men but of God. What makes you a spiritual Jew is you're keeping those laws in your heart. And you're not letting anything happen to them. And that makes you a circumcised Jew. Now, anything that cuts off sin, I've said this so many times, baptize. All these words have to do with death to self. When you study anything that's death to self, Let me write these things down. Anything that's talking about death to self. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself. Deny. So. That's death to self. And take up his cross. There's more than taking a cross than just simply saying, I'm going to drag one around. Yeah, in the first century, you had to be condemned to a cross. 
only criminals and slaves could be condemned to a cross. You could not, you could not crucify a Roman citizen in the first century. You couldn't hit a Roman citizen. You couldn't beat one. That was, they were more or less holy people. And if he, if let him deny himself and take his cross daily and follow me. Follow is the word akulatheo, A-K-O-U-L-A-T-H-E-L. That is also death to self. That means to be in the same way with. To be in the same way, well, there's two ways, a narrow way and a broad way. The narrow way is the well way and a broad way. The broad way, you can live the way you want. Narrow is that word, thalibo, T-H-L-I-B-O. And it comes from the word thalipsis, which is the word tribulation. So you have to be in the tribulation way. And that don't feel good. That feels miserable most of the time. I keep saying this. I've said this in every nearly every message for the last few times. Jesus was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief and our predestination is to be in his likeness. So we have to be sorrowful and acquainted with grief. But that is encouraging knowing that all believers feel the same way. I had um, Kim Sinkowitz call me today and he said, "I, I get very weary and down. I said, but that's every believer. And I talked to him for about an hour and a half yesterday, and he said, I just appreciate this conversation so much. You don't know how much I appreciate it. He's uh, somewhere out of state. I was in Des Moines. He's in Des Moines. And he just said, I just want to be down there with you, with y'all. I said, but we're all sitting in the same miserable place you are. It's because we look out at the world and the people don't want the truth and God has not given them ears to hear and he's given us ears to hear. And that strengthens us when we get around other people and we say, I'm miserable. And they say, so am I. Because when you look at a world that don't believe God, you look at our politicians, you look at the preachers, and none of them are saying anything that's true. That's very depressing to me. I go through states of depression for weeks at a time. I don't even say anything to anybody because I know that's normal for a believer. The more we can hang around each other and get together, the better off we're going to be. That gives us strength. It's terrible to realize that the whole world doesn't want the truth. And Kevin was, um, Kim was asking me, are we close to the end of time? I hope we are. I said, me too. But I, I said, God says no man knows of the day that they are, but I'm going to give you signs and you'll know the season. So nobody knows the exact time, and I believe we're in the season. Anyway. So anything that says deny self, take cross, and follow, that's all death to self. If anyone, when the Bible says, when the Bible's talking about a blood baptism, that's death to self, blood baptism. Even in the first century, when they used the word baptize, they knew what it meant. 
They knew that it meant to cover with a stain or dye. That's what it says in your concordance. Look up baptize, baptizo. And then it'll say, see bapto. And you look at bapto. And baptizo means to cover. And bapto means to stain with a dye. That's actually the blood of Christ. He has to cover us with his blood, just like the Ark of the Covenant was covered by the high priest when he went in uh, one time a year on the tenth day of the seventh month. He has to sprinkle our hearts. That's death to self. To drink of a cup meant death to self. It meant to taste death. You can get that out of McClinic and Strong under cup. Just get the C volume out and look at cup. And it'll tell you it means to die. All right. Baptized. People say, but wasn't Paul baptized? No, not in water he wasn't. Let's look at that in Acts the ninth chapter. Acts 9. This is going to take us in another direction. I may have to take off in this other direction and say some things about the Apostle Paul. Paul shows up in the book of Acts in the 8th chapter. It's where he first comes on the scene. The 8th chapter, this is right after the Pharisees are taking Stephen out in public and stoning him and killing him. The Pharisees did that. And then chapter 8, verse 1. Saul was consenting unto Stephen's death. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which is at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judah, Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made a great lamentation over it. As Saul made havoc of the church. is a word that means to insult or mistreat. Entering into every house. Hailing men. Hailing means to drag them out of their houses. Hailing men and women committed them to prison. Paul was a mean dude. He was killing Christians right and left. In fact, go over here to Amos, to Acts 9 and 1. Acts 9 and verse 1. I'm going to show you a little bit how bad Paul was. Or Saul, as he was called at first. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings, and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord. The word slaughter is the word phonos. P-H-O-N-O-S. Murder. Paul was murdering Christians. That's what he did. And that's why they were so afraid of him. When he comes and he... God strikes him down here on the Damascus Road. 
he says, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me in verse 4? He didn't say, Paul, would you like to accept me as your personal Savior? Struck him down. And Paul said, he said, who are you? And she said, I'm Jesus, whom thou persecutest. And and he tells him to rise and to go into a city. He strikes him down, and Paul is converted on the spot. Boom! He didn't have to pray a prayer. He didn't have to accept Christ or anything like that. Abraham never accepted Christ as his personal Savior either. He just God just says, Abraham, you're my man. Yes, sir. He puts belief in a man's heart and a woman's heart. Now, I'm going to show you a little bit more about the honoriness of Saul. Look here in Acts, uh, not in Acts four and twenty nine. This is what we have to go through. Acts four. Now, when Peter was preaching in the name of Jesus, and the Pharisees come to him and say. If you keep preaching this name, we're going to beat you. And here in 4 and 29, and this is where Peter and John came back to the apostles and they began to pray to God and they were threatened if they prayed or preached in this name, they would get beaten. And then verse 29 of that chapter, Now, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. So under the threat of beatings, they were going to preach anyway. Then if you go into Galatians 1. Galatians 1. Paul was a very dangerous man. He was a man that didn't care about what he did and how he hurt people. Galatians, the first chapter, verse 13. 1 and 13. All right, I'll get there in a minute. 1 and 13. Then Paul says, let's read verse 11 through 13. But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. Man didn't call me to it. God called me to it in that ninth chapter of Acts. For neither... For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, by the, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ when he struck me down on the road to Damascus. For you have heard of my conversation, my antistrophe, my method of living in the past, in time past, in the Jews' religion, how that beyond the measure I persecuted the church and wasted it. Portheo is the word waste. Ravage. Portheo means to ravage the church. 
I was murdering them. I was killing them. That's why the apostles were terrified of him when Ananias brought him over, brought him down to Jerusalem to introduce him to the apostles. And he says, I profit in the Jews' religion of many mine equals in mine own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my father. Tradition is the word paradosis. That's the verbal law. That's the halakal. Now I was going to show you that Paul was not baptized. I may come back to some of these persecutions that he does, but go back over here to Acts, the ninth chapter. When God strikes him down on the Damascus Road, and then Ananias comes to the house where he is, and Ananias is, Paul has been struck blind and he can't see. And he's blind. And Ananias comes to him. Oops, that's Roman. I won't find it there. Ananias comes to the house where he is in Damascus, brings him out of the house. And then he says here, Now this is where people think that Paul was baptized in water. And Ananias went his way, verse verse 17, and it entered into the house, putting his hands on, on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto me in the way, as thou camest, has sent me to do two things to you. Number one, that you will receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. Number one, receive sight and be filled. Number two, filled with Holy Hagias Numa. Same word as Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's truth. So you'll be filled with truth. Now, let's keep reading. And immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales, and he received sight. So God fulfilled that. And then it goes on to say, He received sight and arose and was baptized. That cannot possibly mean water baptism because he's filled with the Holy Ghost. He receives his sight and he's supposed to be filled with truth. So filled with truth is an inner baptism. It's a blood baptism. So Paul was not baptized in water. It doesn't say that. Then look over here in the 22nd chapter of Acts. Acts 22. When you get into Acts, if you really want to know the life of Paul, you're going to see Paul's life from Acts, 
the 13th chapter through Acts the 28th chapter. That's all about the Apostle Paul's life. Now, all right, how much time do I have, Mike? 29. All right, maybe I can cover some territory. Go back to the 22nd chapter of Acts. Paul is, he's got, he goes through these actions. Let me give you this. He goes on his missionary journey. His first journey is from Acts 13 and 14. Acts 13 and 14. And he goes up to, he goes up here to, he comes up here, goes down to Cyprus, gets up here to Pamphylia, and goes up to Antioch, Iconium, Derby, and Lystra. And then he goes back home. The second journey, that's the first journey. The second journey is from Acts 16 through 18. Acts 16 through 18. He's going to have adventures what happened in 15? That's where he goes back to Jerusalem and has a conflab or a meeting with James, the brother of Jesus. That's where he says, we're not going to go back and circumcise these Gentiles in Asia. And Peter stands up and says, no. And James stands up and says, no, we're not going to do it. So they're all in agreement there. Then, when you get over here to the 22nd chapter, the Jews, when you, that fourth journey is between Acts 18.23 to 21.7. Acts eighteen twenty three through twenty one seven. That's the fourth journey. Then he goes back to Jerusalem and the and the Pharisees and the Sadducees take hold of Paul. They're angry at him. And they say he is preaching against the law of Moses. And that's not true. What he is preaching against is the traditionary law of Moses. But they accuse him of, because the Pharisees say that the halakal which was the which was the traditionary law of Moses that was their imagination and that's what they came up with the proselyte baptism out of it the Pharisees invented the water not it had nothing to do with what Jesus was doing the Pharisees they invented the water baptism they said that if a man would be circumcised, washed in water, and offered two turtle doves, he could come from some foreign country and become a member of Israel, a nationalized citizen of Israel. 
That's why Paul said we're of the same body as Israel, those, those that are believers. And then he's, he's, he's here in... I'll give you a little bit of what's happening. They, the Pharisees take hold of Paul. They get, he told, when he gets through with his third journey in 21st chapter, and he comes back by way of, uh, upper, what we call Lebanon right above Israel, and he's coming back down to Israel, and, uh, he says, and they're crying. These are some of the believing Prophets are crying, saying, Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. They'll kill you there. And he says down here in verse 13, chapter 21, 13, Paul answered, What mean ye to weep and to break mine heart? For I am ready to be bound, not to be bound only, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Are you ready to do that? And he says, over in the 20th chapter, he says in verse 24, and he's still confronting some of the people that he's on his last journey. He's at the church at Miletus. Miletus is right down here south of Ephesus, right about there. And he's telling them, he sent for the elders of Ephesus to come down there so he could talk to them. He didn't want to go through Ephesus because the last time he went through Ephesus, in the 19th chapter, they were trying to kill him. They backed him up in one of those arenas, and that's when Alexander stood with the people against Paul. And he was a preacher at Ephesus. Well, you can't trust a lot of people that call themselves preachers. And he says in verse 24, none of these things move me. This is in verse chapter 20, verse 24. None of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel and the grace of God. So he says more, more or less the same thing when he gets down here to Verse 13 in chapter 21, Paul answered said, You're making me weep and breaking my heart. I'm ready not only to go to Jerusalem, but I'm ready to go and be cru- crucified. So he goes to Jerusalem, and he's preaching down here at Jerusalem. And then in verse 27 of chapter 21, And when the seven days were almost ended, the Jews which were in Asia, when they saw him in the temple, stirred up all the people. They laid hands on Paul, and they didn't let him go. He's in possession of the Pharisees now. But they don't hold him very long. They were crying, Men of Israel, help. This is the man that teacheth all men everywhere against the people and the law of this place. That goes along with what he says in verse 21. The Pharisees said this about Paul. And they are informed of thee that thou teachest all the Jews which are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses 
forsake Moses' law. That's not what he's teaching. He's teaching them to forsake the halakha, the traditionary law of Moses, the traditions. Because that was made up by the Jews when they were carried over to Babylon and they came up with this halakha when they translated the law of God over into the Aramaic of the Babylonians and they said you have to have a someone explains all this so they put all of their explanation in there, their opinions. And that was halakha. That's why Jesus was baptized in water. They said if they would go through this process circumcision, washing water, and two turtle doves. The Pharisees said they would have to listen to him. That was just simply a naturalization process to make people a member of Israel. That's all it was. Jesus didn't need to be baptized, but the fact that he was raised in Samaria in Nazareth, the Pharisees considered Nazareth one of the most filthy places in the world. And they weren't going to listen to a man from Nazareth. And they didn't know that he was born in Bethlehem in southern Judah. They didn't know that. And they said, he's a Samaritan. And we don't listen to Samaritans. But they said if a man would go through this process, they would have to listen to him. That was in their halakha. Now, so the Jews take hold of him. They don't keep him very long. They... They were beating Paul in the 32nd verse of the 21st chapter. They were beating him. And then down here in the 36th verse of the 21st chapter, for the multitude of the people followed after Paul, crying, away with him, kill him. Have you been through that hard a time yet? I don't think so. And Paul was, verse 37, Paul was led into the castle and said unto the chief captain who was head of the centurion Roman soldiers there, May I speak unto thee? And the captain said, Canst thou, Can you speak Greek? Art not thou that Egyptian which before these days madest an uproar? They think he is Jesus Barkakba who had raised a rebellion against Rome and had been killed. And they said, aren't you that Egyptian? And led us out into the wilderness, 4,000 men that were murdered. And the captain of the guard has got him all wrong. No, I'm not that. But Paul said, I'm a man which am a Jew of Tarsus, of the city of Cilicia, a citizen of no mean city, I beseech thee, suffer me to speak unto the people. Let me talk to them. Paul wants to stand up. He's in possession. He's being possessed by these Roman soldiers. They took him up. They took Paul away from the people who wanted to kill him. But Paul has appealed to go to Caesar. It was a Roman law that if someone appealed to Caesar, you had to let them go. So the Roman soldier had to take him away from the Jews. They were going to kill him. And when he had given Paul license to preach, Paul stood on the stairs and beckoned with his hand unto the people when they were made a great silence. He spake unto them in the Hebrew tongue, not the Hebrew language. The word tongue is the word dialectos. 
There was a different dialect of the Greek Koine common street language in every city state. So he was talking to them in the Greek dialect that they used in Jerusalem. That's what he's talking to them in. Same word as how here we have a man in our own dialect when we were born. Same word. And then he's meeting with them and he says down here, he's talking to them and he's telling about his life. And I'll just give you a couple of verses here. And they heard that he spake in the Hebrew dialect. To them they kept the more silence. And he, and Paul says to them, I am verily a man which am a Jew, born in Tarsus, a city in Cilicia, yet brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, a great teacher, and taught according to the perfect manner of the law and of the fathers, and was zealous toward God as ye all are this day. And I persecuted this way unto death. He said, I killed Jews that were in this narrow way, binding and delivering them into prisons, both men and women. Then he goes and tells his story about Ananias coming, about him being taken up to Damascus, being struck down on the Damascus road. Then he says here and says in verse uh, in verse uh, in verse 16 let me read a little bit before that and Ananias is talking to Paul and Ananias is, when he comes to the house where he is and he's blind and Ananias said the God of our fathers has verse 14 And he said, The God of our fathers hath chosen thee, that thou shouldest know his will, and see that just one, see that just one, and shouldest hear the voice of his mouth, talking about on the Damascus road. For thou shalt be his witness unto all men. All men means red, yellow, white, black, and brown men, as opposed to the one flesh in the Old Testament of what thou hast seen and heard. And now why tarriest thou? Arise. These are the words of Ananias, the same words that he spoke over there in the ninth chapter of Acts. Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins. Water will not wash away sins, only the blood of Christ. He's made our robes white in the blood of Christ. And wash away thy sins, wash away apoluo, apoluo, means completely cleansed, apo, l-u-o, means to wash away. You can't wash away sin with water, like the Church of Christ, and they just talk about it, and the Baptists got it all twisted up. First John 1, 7 Yeah. Well, blood baptism is all through the Bible. And then he says down here in... Let's read on down the ways here. And it came to pass that when I came again to Jerusalem, 
even while I prayed in the temple, I was in a trance and saw him saying unto me, Make haste, this is in red letters, and get thee quickly out of Jerusalem, for they will not receive thy testimony concerning me. And I said, Lord, they know that I imprisoned and beat in every synagogue them that believed on you. I did that. And when the blood of thy martyr Stephen was shed, I was standing by and consenting unto his death and kept the garment of them that slew him. Now the rest of this book from 22 on is about Paul going before the magistrates of these people, uh, particularly Agrippa, King Agrippa, he's, he was a Herod Agrippa, and then going before Festus, one of the chief counselors of the Romans. And he goes through here. Now, I want to show you some more things about it. And people say, what about the Ethiopian eunuch? Didn't, wasn't he baptized because he was supposed to be? No, he wasn't. That's in Acts the 8th chapter. Let's go to Acts 8. Acts, the 8th chapter. Now, Philip was, he was one of the seven deacons. Now, here in the 8th chapter, and look at verse 26. And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, and go toward the south, unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza. So he's saying, Go this direction. Let me see if I can switch this and show you where he's headed. He's saying, Go down... You got to go down here. Here's Gaza here. That's part of the land of the Philistines in the ancient world. Gaza and Ashkelon and Ashdod. These are Philistine cities. And go from Jerusalem. Here's Jerusalem up here. And go down here toward Gaza. So he's going toward Gaza. This is an Ethiopian eunuch. Being a eunuch, he's not going to need to be circumcised. His genitals had been cut off. That's what they did when they were eunuchs. The purpose of a eunuch was so that they could serve a queen and they couldn't raise up any rebellion against them. They were so committed to that queen or that king. It's believed that Nehemiah was a eunuch and was in charge of he was a cupbearer for Artaxerxes. And you had to be real close to a man to be a cupbearer. And then he says here, And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia. Now, Ethiopia, Egypt is down here. Here's Egypt down here. Here is Israel. 
And here's Gaza down here, and here's Jerusalem up here. So he's going down this way. Ethiopia is down here south of Egypt, south of Egypt. So the man is headed back home, evidently. He's one of the queens. Uh, He was a eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of her treasures. He was a very important man and had come to Jerusalem for to worship. That's very important. What was he going to worship? Evidently, you have to understand, all these water baptisms of the Pharisees were performed at Passover, Pentecost, or Feast of Ingathering, which was connected to the Day of Atonement in the seventh month. That's where they would baptize their converts with a proselyte baptism. They would come to that place. So evidently, this Ethiopian eunuch is coming back from one of the feasts of the Jews, and they have talked to him about this proselyte process. And you have to understand something else. The Jews kept all of their their festivals till 70 A.D. When, when the Roman general Titus came in, his father was the Caesar of Rome, Vespasian, who came in and leveled Jerusalem and conquered Jerusalem and carried them all away in 70 A.D. But the Jews kept all of their their rituals, their Passover, their Pentecost, uh, their circumcision, and that was all a part of their laws. They didn't quit doing it until they were carried away. That Paul said so in that 20th chapter of Acts. He said, I, wanted, I was trying to hurry to get back to Jerusalem. Uh, he says that in... Uh, in Acts the twentieth chapter, he's talking about, I want to get back to Jerusalem for the Passover. So they were still keeping the Passover and keeping all their rituals. Then he goes on to say, he was returning and sitting in his chariot, and he read Isaiah, the prophet. Then the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to his chariot and Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said understandest thou what you're reading he's reading the 53rd chapter of Isaiah and he said how can I accept some man should guide me and he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him in his chariot the place of the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to slaughter like a lamb before his shears, so he opened not his mouth. That's the 53rd chapter of Isaiah. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. And who shall declare his generation for his life is taken from the earth? And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, whom speaketh the prophet this of himself or some other man he was talking about Jesus then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached to him Jesus and as they went on their way they came into a certain water evidently the eunuch wants to be a member of Israel because they come to water 
And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? Philip didn't tell him he had to be baptized. didn't say that. He said, Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, you are permitted to. He didn't command him to. He evidently has in mind of being a citizen of Israel, which that's okay, but that's the naturalization process. And it was. He answered and said to him, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the church to stand still, and they both went down into the water, both Philip and the eunuch. And Philip baptized him in water because he was an Ethiopian eunuch. And that's the only reason to baptize a Gentile would be to make him a citizen of Israel. That was their citizen. That was their citizenship process. When they were come out of the water, the Spirit Lord called away Philip that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way. And Philip found Philip was found as Zotus, and passing through, he preached in all the cities that came to Caesarea. Now, Paul did not go along with what everybody said. If Paul was commended, let me show you something. Do I have any time? I don't have any time to go through this. I'll have to come back and go through it. Uh, Baptized means to be covered with a stain or die. Paul was not dipped in water. Why would he? When they used the word baptize in the first century, especially after the death of Jesus, everyone knew that it, that was a, it was a term used, like Mr. Girdlestone says, for staining and dyeing clothes that women used every day. So they're going to baptize. They knew it meant to stain with a dye. Why is it that... McClinic and Strong says that. The Strong's Concordance says that. And yet no Baptist preachers say that. It means to, we sing, Are you washed in the blood? Have you gone to Jesus for the cleansing power? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you walking daily by the Savior's side? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Whoever wrote that knew something about it. Or... When I see the blood, when I see the blood, when I see the blood, I will pass, I will pass over you. When I see the blood on the doorpost of the house, when I see the blood on the doorpost of your heart, I'll pass over you. I don't even understand why I can see these things and other preachers can't. If you ever look up baptize in your concordance, it'll say to cover, to whelm, to stain with the dye. First time I read that, 45 years ago, I thought, what? I mean, I couldn't get it in my head. What did it mean, stain with an eye? I wasn't particularly baptizing people back then, but I have learned that people don't know anything about the Bible. You know why? They don't look up anything. If they did, that would puzzle them. There's a lot of people that have got... A lot of people have got books that I recommend, but they don't use them. You can't learn. You want to be a great piano player? Buy you a piano and brush up against it once in a while, and it will become a great 
great piano player. Just go over and brush up against it. You can't get a bunch of books and brush against your library and say, I hope that gets into my bloodstream and I hope it bleeds through and I get blood poison from it, like Bob Tilton said. Bob Tilton said he laid upon all those letters so many times and so long that he got that he got blood poison. He took all the checks out and then he laid upon the letters praying over them and then he got blood poison from it. What an idiot. What an ignoramus. Bob Bob Tilton was so bad even TBN wouldn't let him come on there. <laughs> He was true, 100% terrible con man. Of course, so is Kenneth Copeland, but he's more convincing to ignorant people than Bob Tilton couldn't convince a, a dog to jump, even if it was a natural jumper. Bob Tilton was crazy. I think he's still out there doing some stuff. But he's criminal. You ever watch him and he just starts speaking in tongues right in the middle of his sermon? In Dallas, they used to have like a well, he was a Dallas person. Why wouldn't they? <laughs> hey, Bob Tilton was nuts. I believe he'll be in hell one day. That's what I believe he's going to be. I don't believe any of those charismatics are going to heaven. How can they with all their faith healing and their tongue speaking? and None of it's true. Now, why is it, if I can see that tongues are gloss and dialectos, and I can see baptizes, baptizes with bapto, and I can see all these definitions, why can't it, why can't other preachers see it? They're crazy. Well, I'm going to pray. Lord, thank you for truth. I pray you'll take this message and bury it into people's hearts and Reach out and touch lives, and I don't even know what to ask, Lord. I ask you that you'll put doors in front of us that we can go through and get this message to the world through TV or through convict some people's hearts to give to this ministry just to put us on TV. There are people out there that's got the money to do it, put us on regular TV. I can't pray and ask you what we need. You know what we have need of before we ask. I love this truth that you let us see. And I pray that you'll give us some avenue to get it to the world. And God will praise you for everything. In Christ's name we pray, man. I really mean that. I think of that every day. Is there not some avenue that we're missing? There can't be many. There's only few.